there can be grief and there can be joy all at the same time. You know, like we can experience this huge spectrum of emotions and it's not mutually exclusive. You can be at your lowest of low and know that the high is right around the corner, but God, just getting there is hard. So, so many of these big feelings can coexist and that is not limited to postpartum or pregnancy and those changes. Our bodies are going to change through our lifetime. They just will. So the body that you had before you're having babies, that wasn't going to stay with you anyway when you're 40, 50, 80, et cetera. Like things will just change if we're lucky, right? If we are freaking lucky, we'll have the opportunity to see our bodies change. If we're lucky, we won't be mentally the same person that we were five years ago or 10 years ago, if we are lucky. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Invictus Mindset Podcast. Today's guest is the CEO and founder of Pregnancy and Postpartum Athleticism, where she provides fitness programs for athletes and an amazing certification for coaches and practitioners. Today's guest, Brianna Battles. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. You have so much knowledge packed in between those years, and I'm excited to share that with our community today. So thanks for making the time to connect. Yeah, well, thank you again for having me so much. I love it. it it's cool because, you know, y- yes, we'll talk about traditional strength and conditioning because I know you have a background in that and some really cool fitness mindsets and methodologies, and we'll transition a little bit into your world now of entrepreneurship. But it's interesting because pregnancy and postpartum athletes are such an such an underserved community. And so thank you for filling the gap there a little bit and providing resources for people that are are navigating a, an experience that's I won't categorize it as tough. It is, but it's also just very different. So thank you for that. Oh, well, thank you. And yes, underserved, but also so common. Oh yeah. Such a huge population of athletes in our gyms and working with trainers and practitioners. Huge demographic. And it's it's so interesting because it's not just about customizing or scaling or changing the movement. It it's a completely different experience. And and I think you can provide and attest to a lot of what that looks like and help paint some some metaphorical imagery for people, but Brianna, where I wanted to start the conversation today, since we both love sports and, and there's no place like sports to really learn and evolve some of, some of the messiness of the human experience. And there was, there was some amazingness last week in the world of tennis with Serena Williams retiring from, from the sport, being one of the greatest of all time. Tiger Woods was there. You know, I, I'm, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it because there's this um, panorama view of her career. And you, you had this amazing message that I couldn't help but grab, which was your athleticism does not end when motherhood begins. Brianna, I absolutely love that. And I'd, I'd love to start our conversation there. When I, when I say these things, what does it mean to you? And where did that quote kind of come from? Honestly, that quote has been the cornerstone of this brand for years now. Your athleticism does not end when motherhood begins. We've been given traditionally in the pre and postnatal circle and the medical communities, we've been given really generic or really extreme advice. And, you know, oftentimes people think that, well, I, I'm, if I have this baby, I'm not going to be able to come back and do the things that I want to do. 
And your athleticism doesn't end. It might look different. Your experience might be different. Your body might be different. How you navigate those seasons will be different, but it's not over. It just will look different. And I think that it provides hope and an uh, all-encompassing approach to we are na- how we navigate pregnancy and postpartum isn't just on behalf of those particular seasons. It's on behalf of this lifetime of athleticism to be as fit as possible for as long as possible. I think that's a really healthy description. It's also fascinating because you use the term get back. And I think oftentimes as women go through this journey, the, the mindset is, Oh, I need to get back to what I was. Yes. What are your thoughts on that terminology? Cause what I'm, what I'm hearing is, going backwards. And I always think about like falling forward or going forwards. And it's like, you don't necessarily want to get back. You actually want to get better. And it's kind of a unique thought process. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I use the word get back because that's what the language that's communicated to Mm -hmm. me is, right? They're like, I just want to get back to CrossFit. I just want to make another run at the games. I just want to have another run at the Olympics or whatever it might be. Like they are so focused on what was Mm -hmm. That that is like, that's the frame of reference that they have for measuring their goals or what's on the other side of, of postpartum, right? So we can use that language to kind of honor where they're at in the process and then teach them that it actually, it's about moving forward and taking new inventory of what you actually want, what you can commit to, what your body is ready and able for at this point in time, what that timeline looks like. And again, It doesn't end when motherhood begins, but it will look different. And different can be a really good thing. Different doesn't have to be bad. It really is just taking inventory on on a whole new change in who we are and what we do and how we do it and all of that. So you really have to learn how to be an adaptable athlete. And I think pregnancy and truly like that first year postpartum where you're acclimating to so much change inside and out can really act as a catalyst for improved like athletic maturity through your lifetime. I love your language. What are some of the tools that you've, you know, played with? Obviously you've done a really good job coaching people in person. You started at the collegiate strength and conditioning level, but Mm -hmm. before we dive into some of your past history, where has this upgraded language really come from? I love the ideation around taking inventory, this concept of enhancing awareness because it is going to look different and your plate might be a little bit more full and your time allocation for training or personal time might not be as big, but it, it, it can still happen. It can still be magical and it can still be this unique way to enhance the quality of your life. Where did you start this, this upgrading of your operating system? Oh man. Well, I think it takes getting humbled to like really take inventory of where you're at and then how you want to live personally and then how how I wanted that to translate into my coaching, right? And so when I was a first-time mom, a pregnant athlete, I really gravitated to the like you're a badass and just do what you've always done and almost like like really centering my ego around what I was able to keep doing. Um, whether there was like outward praise or not, it was like really just to kind of feed my own insecurities of so many things changing. I didn't want, like, I just wanted to control as many things as I could. And 
nothing like motherhood humbles you more than that, right? <laughs> like my birth experience was like pretty traumatic. And that was like, ooh, did I, I was training for birth and fit for birth. And now like this didn't go how I thought it was going to go. Um, then getting, so just kind of getting thrown, thrown off so much from what my expectations were. And I think that the more mature you get as a human, as an athlete, whatever, the more you're able to accept that, like, we, there's not a whole lot of things in our control. We can do what we can, but we mostly just have to learn to be adaptable and open-minded. And that will serve us as mothers, as coaches, as athletes in everything. But sometimes it takes getting really humbled for that to happen. Right. And so as I, I realized, like, after that birth, my postpartum recovery, I realized what a huge gap there was and what I didn't know. And again, it was like this humbling experience. But I knew, and then I was like, the people I was trying to learn from, like, they didn't get me. Like, they didn't get what I wanted to do. They didn't get how I thought. Like, you got to know how to work with athletes, right? And so with that, to tie it all back, I mean, that comes with a very particular set of communication skills. Mm -hmm. And that's why, like, Brett and I are, like, we really get along so well. Is we value that because we know that if you really want to get buy-in and you want to help people and you want those people to trust you, I've been on the other end of being like, I don't trust that person. They don't get me. So you really have to use language and kind of meet, learn how to meet people where they're at in order to guide them to where they want to be. And that's why, you know, I think a lot of this big picture thinking, communication strategies, and really framing it outside of do this, don't do that, exercise modifications, breathe this way or don't. Like we really have to zoom out and really take inventory of well, how do we coach people? We show them what they want. Like, oh, you want to go to the Olympics? You want to go to the CrossFit Games. You want to, um, you know, fight in the UFC at a year postpartum, like whatever that might be for you. Let's reverse engineer that process. And in order to do that, how you communicate and how you frame that game plan, so to speak, is really what makes the biggest difference. It, it's so cool to hear you discuss these things because I, I've heard you say control what you can and adapt to the rest. And that, that's a challenging methodology because. A, it's a very truthful and people want the step-by-step -step process. They're like, adapt. What does that mean? That's a very generic, broad and inclusive term, but it's honest. It's like, what's the answer to the question? Well, it depends. And, yeah. and what I really love is you discussed reverse engineering, right? It's really tough to have this step-by-step -step plan because life's messy. It's not just this linear periodization, even though strength and conditioning professionals would love that because it'd make program design really easy. Five pounds every single week. Great. Trident Coffee is sponsoring this episode of the Invictus Mindset Podcast. My guys over at Trident taught me something really important this last year, that we are all a bundle of stories, both good and bad and everything in between. At Trident, they're storytellers. All of their cold brews remind their customers that, that they are part of something bigger than themselves. They help create connections through symbology and storytelling that engage their customers on an emotional level, and this distinguishes them from other coffee brands. You can find Trident in Imperial Beach and in Coronado. They offer over 14 plus nitro cold brews along with dairy-free options. You can find the perfect brew and pair it with one of their treats from their keto bakery. All these options will allow you to support your health and fitness journey with Trident Coffee. They're more than just a coffee company. You can check them out over at tridentcoffee.com and use code INVICTUS20 for 20% off online and in tap rooms. Once again, that's tridentcoffee.com 
Use code Invictus20 for 20% off online and in tap rooms. Take your coffee experience to the next level. Two important factors for us over at Invictus Mindset are true care and attention to detail. My friends over at RX Markier have been bringing innovative fitness tools to the market since 2009. From their award-winning Evo Speed Ropes to their amazing gymnastics grips to their line of inflatable fitness equipment, they're constantly looking to problem-solve within the fitness industry. They're always allowing us to have our gear work for us rather than against us. Hop on over to RX Markier and use discount code Invictus Mindset to shop their latest cutting edge gear. Have your gear work with you and not against you. And what, what, what's, what's cool is you're sharing principles and those principles lead to habit formation. Habit formation leads to consistency. Consistency moves the needle across a lifespan. And I, I really, really align with that and appreciate that like to the utmost. But what I'd like to unpack a little bit is, you know, where, where did your journey kind of begin with strength and conditioning and, and how did you develop this passion? Cause you talked about creating buy-in. Well, for me already, you've created buy-in because I can tell you give a shit. I can hear yeah. the, the passion in your voice. I can hear you leaning in when I say certain words and then really digesting and really like giving true thought. You can't fake that. And, and if I was a consumer, I would be observing body language. I'd be looking at emotional intelligence. I'd be looking deeper than, okay, this person's selling me that I can get to my North Star. They're saying they can create a plan. Everybody's saying that. But there, there's intangibles in between the lines, and you, you provide those. Where did, where did this passion for, for fitness and strength and conditioning start before the onset of pregnancy and postpartum athleticism? Yeah. Um, I mean, I grew up swimming, playing water polo, California girl through and through. And that was very much a part of, um, a part of my lifestyle and my routine. And it was also like a safe place for me. I was raised by a single mom and that was like what she did to keep my sister and I steady in what was a very unsteady environment for a while. And so that became very much part of my identity. Like I'd go to school I do my homework, I go to swim lessons or I go to water polo practice and I come home and I do this and I go to bed. So it was like very structured growing up. And then I knew that if there was an opportunity to go on and play in college and that would help bear the burden um, financially for my family. And like that was, you know, sort of on the horizon of what I wanted to work towards. And like that's I think that structure of having fitness and sport be so embedded at a very young age and then get to a pretty high level in it. Um, that's really what acted as a catalyst for getting interested in exercise physiology and how the body works. I also knew that I don't think well in like, um, in like really intricate steps and processes. I like the big picture so I could understand movement. I could understand sports. I could understand psychology because even like big picture things. And I knew that coaching and health and fitness were big picture concepts. And then we could reverse engineer a lot of like the nuances of it. And it was easier for me to understand and digest because it was so applicable to what I already knew and what I was doing and would be in the realm of everything I wanted to keep doing professionally. That's very cool. How did you ultimately transition to 
collegiate strength and conditioning after being a high level athlete in the, in the pool? Yeah. I mean, I worked actually in a couple different environments. I got my um, CSCS right away after graduating um, because I knew that if I had that, it would give me the freedom to kind of do whatever I wanted within that field. Um, So I worked, gosh, I did personal training. I worked in corporate wellness for a few years. I knew I wanted to get my master's degree. So then I took a job as an assistant coach at a D1 university to help get that paid for. I ended up actually going to another school though for my, for my master's degree. So that actually didn't work out, but it gave me exposure to what, how administrations are run at the collegiate level. And then what athletes, female athletes are experiencing between like 18 and 22 and then being like being involved in that, but not as an athlete, but as a coach, you can really help like, listen and communicate and have hard conversations and be there for the highs and then be there for the lows and managing people and personalities. There was a lot of exposure that I got in my early twenties to um, so many different fitness and strength and conditioning and sport environments that I really feel like gave me this foundation um, for everything that's been built over the last you know, eight years or so. I just think it's so cool. I, I have a lot of people that um, are, are in school for kinesiology or, or exercise science. And there's always questions around, hey, what do I do to get to that level? How do I learn more? How do I evolve more? I mean, the answer is you got to try the different flavors. And it sounds like you kind of yes. went on that circuit trying to figure out what's the right fit? What can I learn here? How do I apply this and, and move it over here? And it's always... It's data collection. It's adding tools to the toolbox. And then along the yeah. way, you know, I, I asked previously, where'd you, where'd you get your language? And it's like, well, you've accumulated it over the last few years through practice, through trial and error. And I think in this day and age where everything's become social media and online based, especially with, with the challenges of the COVID pandemic, everybody wants to jump straight online. And it's like, right. I, I get it. And, and, and for some people, you kind of have to do that. But you also have to go through the trenches. You need to be boots on the ground. You need to actually connect with humans that are in different elements of their journey and practice the art of, okay, I tried that cue with that athlete. It worked really well. I tried the same cue over here. Didn't work. I need to try something different. I need to meet them where they're at. I need to demonstrate tactile, use an audible cue, show a visual you know, video of some sort, try all these different approaches. And I, I think that's how you develop the ability to call audibles and adapt and have these, these different things in your back pocket that you can pull out when they're needed most. Exactly. I mean, coaching is interactive. Like it is so interactive and, and, and live. Like you have to feel it. You have to see it. You have to adjust it a little bit. And until you have a lot of reps of doing that in person, it's very hard to have that kind of impact online. And I really do. I mean, I had a hybrid model for my business for a very long time until like COVID changed the dynamics in California. Like that was when I was like, okay, I guess I'll stop doing this. But I, because I could in that, in that situation, it was like an okay time to pivot, to go fully online. But you know, with my professional athletes, I still work with them. Like in person, we will meet up because I need to see it. I need to feel it. And I, and it makes me better. I am so much better when I am like one-on-one with somebody and can think it out and feel it out and, and be put on the spot to be honest, because what I could tell them on the phone or through a zoom 
or, you know, just like writing out a program and hoping that it's effective. Like that's just not going to be as good as giving me one hour with that person. And then I can have so much more inventory to work off of For sure. and then know how they're feeling about it too. Cause again, if you want that buy-in, you want them to understand the process and not just be committed to an outcome. You have to get them committed to the process as well. And it's so much more than just a, a transactional coaching relationship. It's, it's the co-piloting of a lifestyle. There's so many variables that come along with it. You, you've consistently used the term buy-in. And I think there's a lot of healthcare practitioners out there. I think there's a lot of fitness professionals out there that they struggle with that. They have the knowledge and the expertise. They, they're like, man, I went to school for this many years and I've got you know, all these different certifications, but I can't seem to, to really get past that original wall. What are some of the unique tactics and strategies? Because for me, the buy-in comes from, as I mentioned, the true care and the passion. I can feel that. I can see it. I mean, I can feel it through the screen right now, which is fantastic. But I would argue that not everybody has that in this field. It's a true gift that you have found a very intimate and vulnerable way to share, which some people have that and some people are still evolving that, that element. But it's it's unique, this this element of buy-in. It, it's hard to do, but when you figure it out and you are persistent to try, man, it can be magical. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think for getting buy-in, which I know a lot of people have tackled this topic, and I do not even pretend to be like the person for educating around this. But I think that in my experience and the athletes I've worked with, I know what they ultimately want, right? After a 10 minute conversation, I know that they want to be able to run a half marathon or run multiple half marathons after, like, after they have had their baby. I know that I want to, I know that they want to go to the games or they want to go to CrossFit four times a week. I know that about them. I know what they want on the other side of this season. When they want to get back, I know what they want to get back to. I'm going to teach them how to move forward through these seasons on behalf of what that goal is. And so when I'm telling a lot of athletes who maybe have like athlete brain, they're a little stubborn. Maybe they're like how I was, uh, you know, years ago and say like, there's a little bit of an ego attached. So we can deconstruct that piece and say, so like, if you want to do this, when you are six months postpartum or a year postpartum, here's what I would advise for right now. And here's where I think that you're at in this um, transition or in this particular season of your postpartum or of your pregnancy. This is what I would advise. And then this is probably the most important part. Ultimately, it's your choice. This is what I'm advising, but you have an autonomous experience. You can make the choices that you feel are right for you. And then like it puts it on them. And then they re really feel like they're in control of their own choices. And one sentiment that my business works really hard at is eliminating the, the sentiment of, I wish I didn't, or, or I wish somebody would have told me, or why didn't I know? Because there are so many of us that felt really dismissed by the medical community or practitioners that really didn't get what we did or who we were, or coaches that were just like, yeah, just listen to your body. Like, it's fine. So there are so many people that are pissed. They're like, why didn't I know that this could happen or that I could feel like this or whatever? And that's where my coaching comes into play is I'm giving you some guidelines. I'm giving you a game plan that really honors what you, what you actually want, not what you just want right now, but what you, what you want long-term. 
but how you get there is going to be your choice. I love the suggestive terminology as well, because it's not this authoritative, I'm talking down to you. It's providing a blueprint and guidelines to help steer people in the right direction, knowing that occasionally they'll fall off path and and you'll be there to help support them in in that endeavor as well. In this industry, it's just so interesting because our world is conditioned, you know, probably from education to be like, memorize these things and then you'll get your thing. Follow these steps and you'll get your, you'll get your thing. And that's the cover of men's health. That's the cover of so many different things. I'll probably get backlash from those guys for saying that. But I, I, I think it's so interesting because that's just nuanced marketing. That's, that's not truthful, authentic, like, yes, these steps could help. But I I think the suggestive terminology is important, but it doesn't sell as well. So as you've transitioned to the world of entrepreneurship a little bit, how have you navigated that that little gray area around, I want to be truthful, I want to authentically help people, but I also need to make a living? How how have you navigated that? It's a great question. I just want to be really particular with how I answer this. Um, I think from the beginning for me, I didn't set out on this to start a business. I kind of fell into like entrepreneurship. The origin was sharing my experience, what I had learned as an athlete, and then what I had continued to learn as a coach and what I was applying to the athletes I was coaching. And because of that, it has been so important to me to be truthful and to be a realist. Because there are so many variables that are outside of our control during pregnancy and postpartum, like in particular, more so than honestly, probably many other seasons in our fitness, many other things that we will face. These are very particular seasons that do need special attention. You're not fragile, but you're also not invincible. So how do we walk that line? Here is sort of the risk associated that Uh, associated with pregnancy and postpartum, things that maybe you are more predisposed to. So again, it's touching on the, why didn't anyone tell me sentiment? Well, you need to know what maybe you're uh, like a bit more predisposed to right now. Just like we do when we're coaching and we know that an athlete has their knee cave in every single time they're doing a really heavy squat. Like we can give them certain cues to say like, okay, like you're about to like blow out your knee and that's going to like really suck. So here's what we can do. Here's how we can scale back the movement. You can keep doing the movement, but we're going to do it differently. It's the same conversation just applied to pregnancy and postpartum. And so I think when we can really like acknowledge that piece, it really helps with, I mean, with really getting that buy-in and that big picture of all of this. For sure. The other thing that's so so interesting to me is most very successful entrepreneurs are giving others what they wish they had themselves. They're, they're, they're trying to go down memory lane, revisit and feel their tangible experience and then think, okay, I've been in a similar place before. Now I want to provide tools and education for people to have a better experience than, than I once did. And I think there's a there's a very humbling humanism to that. There's a courageous selflessness to it. And I, I do think it's important to note that because it's really easy to you know, grab all the different educational tools and be like, I have the answer to the world's problems in this arena. But what's cool is like you've also personally experienced them. 
And as yeah. you were working as a collegiate strength and conditioning coach and about to have your first baby, what was that experience like when you ultimately realized like this isn't working for me anymore? This this level or this arena of fitness is not conducive to my growing family and my changing lifestyle. That was a really hard choice because I felt like, well, this was my plan. This is what this was supposed to be like the easier choice or rouse. I could coach and be a mom, but I was at my absolute worst. Like I was so anxious. I was so depressed. I really wasn't in a supportive environment for the lifestyle that I wanted as a mom. And I felt like I was being forced to choose and I didn't want to be forced into anything. I wanted to feel like I had control of my life, of my situation and of what I wanted to do. So I just truly surrendered and said like, this is not it for me anymore. I am okay not having a plan B right now. Fortunately for my brain, that didn't last very long. I kind of like rolled right into my plan B after resigning. But I just got to the point where I was like, it's okay that I don't know what's next. I just know that this is not what's next anymore. Let me jump in there real quick. I'm curious because I'm sure there's a lot of women in that same boat, but they get stuck, right? I have to provide for my family. The lifestyle that we live is so expensive and I need this income right now. Maternity leave is really challenging for for many different women and occupations right now. And you know, the, the family dynamic of, of both parents working, um, you know, a potential single parent situation. How did you develop the courage to take that leap and realize, okay, this isn't working for my lifestyle, the lifestyle that I want, the North Star, and I want to reverse engineer that even if it's really challenging and scary and I can't really see the light at the end of the tunnel. This is what feels right. Like, how did you get to that? And and what would you share for other women maybe going through the same thing that just kind of feel trapped? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a, that's a tough question because it really, there's one, a lot of privilege attached to this, the decision to step away from a career where you're going to take a financial hit. So to provide some context there, uh, my husband, fortunately is very supportive. He's a first responder. So it's not like there's crazy money coming in. Um, but it was enough where we could say like, we are stable enough. And it felt like an okay, enough trade. Mm -hmm. And we were willing to take the hit and take some of the sacrifices. The other part is I was not getting paid a lot at all at that level, especially for the amount of work I was doing. So it was almost like, instead of looking at it as an, as in just the lens of financial, it was like, the qual, like the, I don't know, qualitative experience of my life. Like I was taking losses in other ways that just was no longer worth it to me. That it was like money isn't even it anymore. It's just like none of this makes sense anymore. None of it is what it was supposed to be. And something has to change. And I knew that I could do something. Like I knew that. I knew that I worked really hard, that I had a really solid education to fall back on. And that I would figure it out. I just didn't know exactly what that was going to be. But I felt confident that I could do something. For sure. Was there a moment like most people typically won't change unless they hit rock bottom or, uh, or the yeah. utmost pain? Pain seems to be the, the main contributing factor where people are like, nope, 
not doing this anymore. I'm, I'm changing my, my trajectory for sure. Was there yeah. some sort of like epiphany for you or was it kind of just like a slow drip over time? I think it was a slow drip over time. Um, just try, I was doing a lot throughout my pregnancy. I was still working in corporate, in corporate wellness. I was coaching, um, and at like, basically I was corporate wellness for most of the day at night or early evening. And at nighttime I was coaching on the pool deck till like 9 PM. I was getting my master's degree. It was insane. And I knew like, Oh, this is crazy, but maybe it'll change when I have a baby. Like, no, like they just got like even more crazy. Um, and then it was just trying to keep my head above water, like, like super serious postpartum depression that I just tried to like push through because I was too tough and too strong and to whatever to, you know, be taken down by that, I guess was my impression at that time. And so I tried to use, hold on to my identity in every aspect through fitness, through work, through all of that. And then around like nine months postpartum, it just got up to me. I just wasn't healthy. Like I was, I had lost a lot of weight did not have a healthy relationship with exercise and nutrition. I felt like I had just been in survival mode and it was not sustainable. So, you know, rock bottoms hit me at a few different times throughout life, but that was not so much a rock bottom as just like a, this is no longer serving you, especially because it's not what you thought it was going to be anyway. For sure. It's also really cool to hear, like when we discussed a little bit earlier, some of the the pivotal starting points around pregnancy and postpartum athleticism, your voice was really passionate and enthusiastic. When we went down memory lane of the postpartum depression and the challenges that you faced, the, you talked faster, Your your body language was different. And so the, the point that I'm making there is I think you've gone the right direction for you. You're clearly passionate, more relaxed, thinking more clearly. The pain has gently subsided a little bit. And I think that gentle, just like biology that you just expressed, the physiology that you just expressed should give light at the end of the tunnel for people to know that like, if you're in a tough spot, it's, it's not going to last forever. There are resources that can help guide you towards your North Star. And I really appreciate you sharing that. But I also want to note, and I'm, I'm curious your thoughts here, you kind of need to go through some of that as part of this human experience. It's not just like everything's good, everything feels good. It's like you're going to have the twists, the turns, the ups, the downs, the, the falls, the, the lateral falls, the forward, the backward. You're going to be pushed. You're going to get back up. And how did you develop that resilience at a time where, I mean, at the, there's really not a ton of education around, you know, the pregnancy training and how do you evolve your career as a woman in this field that, you know, wants to raise a family and do things a little bit off the beaten path? Hi, you know, I think I was really fortunate to be raised by a woman who just saw like pure potential in both my sister and I, like she just hyped us up, like thought we were the best ever. And like, we really like weren't, you know, but she just thought we were great. And she believed so strongly, so strongly in us. And also like had expectations, but not in a controlling way in a, like she worked her ass off to make sure my sister and I never felt like we were 
uh, going without and that we would still have opportunities to go on and be successful. So like we saw how hard she worked and that was just like, it, it would be impossible to not absorb that as a kid and as a teenager and then going on to college and knowing like, I, like she just like really instilled a belief in myself. I've never felt like, um, like I couldn't do something. I've worked in male dominated careers most of my life until I created my own. I've never felt like I was less of a voice or less of a presence or less value in any environment because I know what I can bring to the table as long as it's a table I want to be at. Right. So I, I don't know. I just think that that really helped. And as far as, you know, being a business owner and having a family, this has given me the life that I want. I love it. I work hard, but it feels good. It is, I don't have to just preach what my philosophy is. I embody it. I, I literally am living out a lifetime of athleticism. I'm living out being a pregnant athlete, being a postpartum athlete, going through a ton of shit, a ton of shit, some of which is like connected to this and some that is just not. And still we can create a life that feels good, even amongst a ton of trials and things that we weren't expecting. There it is. The, the, <laughs> the, it is. the word belief, though, is what stands out to me. And I think one of the greatest gifts that parents can can give their children is true belief in them. You can yes. be whatever you want to be. That's been a common theme that I've been able to pull out in many of these podcast conversations. And it's so cool because just instilling that through the value system of the day-to-day -day from birth and, and, and through the growth and development of the childhood experience, that's a really pivotal one that I've seen help people have this, this very unique launch at some point in their life because it's almost like this psychological safety net of like, I can try all these things and if they fail, I still believe in me because my parents believed in me. And right. what, what are your thoughts on, on this concept of belief and, and how important that is to maximizing human potential and having this, this inner mantra of like, I can do anything that I want to do? Yeah. I mean, we have such an opportunity to help our kids find their own narrative, right? But it starts with what they hear from us. And it's, I don't want to raise my boys to do like what I think they should do. I'll help guide them. My job is to give them exposure. I want to expose them to as many things as possible as early as possible. That's sort of my like coach mom approach to things. And then when they find the thing that lights them up, I want to be all in and supportive of what they want. And like, then they will get those reps of learning to believe in themselves. I can hype them up and give them that support, but it's by exposing them and letting them kind of figure it out on their own that I think really makes that big impact for them getting reps at being good, not being good, being in an environment they really like, being in an environment they don't like, doing a team sport, doing an individual sport, whatever it might be. They're getting that exposure so that they can collect their own data as to who they are and who they're becoming. And then eventually all of those exposures and experiences will help build them into like who they are and whatever they're going to do with that. I think sports can act as such a valuable um, parenting tool <laughs> because there's just a lot of, you know, there's just a lot of opportunities to, to build some, some resilience and, and have those lessons applied to the bigger picture, whatever it is that they're going to do. Man, that's so cool.
you know, go, it's a lot of fun. It is. <laughs> it, it sounds like a lot of fun. And it's cool to hear it from you and see you light up when you describe it, right? You've clearly found your thing. But in order to find, you know, your thing, you definitely have to go through some low moments. So as we were talking about previously, as you were like, all right, this isn't working anymore. It's this slow drip of discomfort. This isn't what I want my life to look like. You mentioned postpartum depression. How, how would mm-hmm. you define that, you know, for other women potentially having gone through or currently going through that? And what were some of the tools that you, you used that maybe you would suggest for guidance for others? Yeah, I, I think postpartum depression was the first time I experienced depression on the spectrum that it exists on. So that's probably the first thing to lead with is depression and anxiety really exists on a spectrum. And so severity and experience is going to look so different um, for, for people. Mine was this like fierce effort of control and being so attached to who I was and what I wanted to do and what I wanted to look like. I was just like obsessive and so controlling and when things weren't going the way I wanted them to go, I I really used outlets that front facing are healthy, like exercise and like really good nutrition. But I was like, exercise a lot to try to, if I can't control my baby and how I feel, at least my body won't look like I just had a baby or whatever. I really like was just consumed trying to have my body change. Um, Cade, my firstborn was just coming off of a traumatic delivery. So I just felt like I had failed. And so when you enter motherhood in a kind of like traumatic sense, you're just, you're scattered. You're like, what the hell just happened? And so like, you're kind of entering it in a really, you're just kind of like predisposed. You're already like so vulnerable and broken feeling. And then you're handed this baby and it's like, figure it out. And so it's like nursing was hard recovery just, I just did it under, I was so unexpected. And I think that was the biggest thing is I just felt so caught off guard by how hard things were. I wasn't sleeping. He like wanted to move and be held all the time and like, see what was going on. Like he needed all the stimulus. And now that he's like nine, I'm like, Oh, that makes sense. Like (laughs) who he was as a baby absolutely makes sense for like who he is as a human. Mystery looking forward and science looking back. Oh my gosh. You're telling me. Um, so it was like, it was just a lot. And I felt like I had, I was trying so hard to hold on to who I was that I had no ability to figure out who I was becoming. None. It was not, I just couldn't go there yet. And it wasn't until a lot of things shifted and changed. And frankly, I was able to get out of the, like the trenches of not sleeping. So it wasn't until like nine months or so postpartum that I was like, Oh God, like I just was, I was angry mostly angry. And then I was compulsive with being kind of like masking how I felt by what I was able to do. If I could just be more productive and get into the gym and get back to work and do all these things and just like look like a badass, then like that's going to mask how I actually feel on the inside. Um, So that's why I talk so much about the psychology portion of working with this population, because it is, I mean, if we don't address what's happening up here first, like in your brain, throughout this entire trans like transformational season, the exercise modifications and guidance, that doesn't mean anything. For sure. It won't mean anything. We understand the motivations behind it. Um, and the things like, yeah, just honestly, like the, the motivations and, and, uh, how they, how they really think about themselves and their training and how it, 
reflects on the rest of them. Absolutely. I mean, there's a reason why I've got this thing behind me right here. There's a reason why we have this podcast that, yeah. you know, there, there, there's this unique magic that comes with mindset. And, you know, I know that wasn't a fun memory for you, but definitely something that it sounds like you needed in order to move forward because the woman that went from A to B was one woman. And then to move forward from B to C, you actually had to evolve. You couldn't be the same person anymore. You had more. And I, I think it's important to note just that, that concept of different. And I, I think yeah. that's hard to, to grasp sometimes. But then you also mentioned you had this, this level of anger and you were trying to mask and deflect and bury some of the true feelings through exercise. Um, I think many people use exercise in that way. You know, that's why it's sometimes viewed as, as therapy because things can come out or things can be put away. And so the, 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 the intention behind it, I think, is, is really important. This episode is brought to you by Mush. My friends over at Mush created an incredibly cool product of ready-to-eat overnight oats. And for those of you that listen to the podcast often, you know simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. And Mush has done just that, as their products have no more than seven clean ingredients that are dairy-free, gluten-free, with no added sugar. Mush started right here at Invictus, as they had a vision to create convenient, healthy, and clean nutrition. And this landed them on Shark Tank, where the famous Mark Cuban invested in them. Now they're found in retailers all over the country, including Costco, Sprouts, Target, and Whole Foods. Check out my friends over at www.eatmush.com. Breathing, movement, circulation, digestion. What do all these body functions have in common? Our muscles. There are over 600 muscles in the human body that are responsible for supporting our daily activities. That's why your muscle health is incredibly important. On this podcast, I always discuss seeking our peak expression and striving to maximize our human potential. And so I try to share with you the top products that I find on the market. My HMB is a clinically proven ingredient that has been shown to help build and maintain lean muscle mass increase strength, improve recovery, and enhance body composition. Learn more about your muscle health at myhmb.com slash Invictus. Once again, that's myhmb.com slash Invictus. Enhance your muscle health and enhance your life. But I also want to note, you know, you didn't mention the usage of pharmaceutical drugs throughout this process. And so I'm curious, you know, to explore your thoughts on some of that in relation to depression and anxiety. But first and foremost, you did mention sleep. And that's a huge yeah. one where if people are going through a hard time, they're in this, this transformation from one identity to another, maybe between careers or going through financial hardship or a breakup. It's like, well, more often than not, you're seeking dopamine. So it's probably lack of sleep, maybe some poor choices as far as health and lifestyle habits. You know, the other thing is getting exposure to elements, getting in, in the sunlight, feeling the wind, the heat, the cool, whatever that looks like in the arena or demographic of location. If those aren't possible, it's like get into some warm water, some cold water, be more human. Expose yourself to these things that are that are out there, 
What are your thoughts on, on some of these tools? And, you know, after that, what are your thoughts on some of the far pharmaceutical applications? And, you know, I'm sure some of them help and then some of them can be incredibly dangerous. Yeah, I mean, this is whew, this is a little loaded one. Um, I'll start with personal experience. I, again, didn't, I wish I would have gotten help at least through the help of a therapist to be able to kind of process a traumatic birth and process the shift in identity that occurs. And I think that is helpful for all um, new moms because it is, regardless of if your birth was like, it could be great or it could be like really traumatic. You, there's still a lot of processing of like this new identity that you're taking on of responsibility and how much your lifestyle changes. Again, change doesn't have to be bad, but it's certainly different. Like it's going to be different. It can be a steep learning curve um, and there can be some grief attached to that. So I definitely wish I would have talked to a therapist earlier. I am grateful that I talked with a therapist when I really recognized I had some stuff I needed to unpack and like talking to my sister and my mom and my husband just like wasn't enough. They were too connected. And my sister's a therapist. My sister has her doctor in psychology and still, mm. and the whole time she was like, Brianna, like, I really think you should talk to someone. And I was like, I'm fine. You know? <laughs> so, um, I wish that I would have been really proactive with that. And with my second pregnancy, I did talk to a therapist through my pregnancy and postpartum experience. And it made a significant difference because I adjusted my own expectations. I went in as such a different human. I wasn't rigid in what I wanted. I was just a lot more open-minded to the experience. Anxious? Yes. Afraid? Yes. And also changed. And I knew that what was isn't like wasn't going to be what was going to happen again. There might be similarities, but there will absolutely be differences and I was different. So that was really powerful. Um, as far as incorporating some of the elements, gosh, there's so much opportunity there, right? And when you are a new mom, you can barely get by. Like you are just trying to survive. So it's very hard to tell a new mom who hasn't slept, like, well, you should like just get some more sleep or to do like some non, non-sleep deep rest or just like go on a walk. And it's like, shit, we're trying. Or like, we need to take an ice bath or get in a sauna. Like these are all great concepts. And again, when you're in the trenches of postpartum, like those extras are so hard to incorporate in a really practical way. Um, it's just really hard mentally, um, accessibility wise, and just like you're responsible for a tiny human. And sometimes it's like my sister's in it right now. Actually, she has a, a new baby and she's like, I, he doesn't stop crying. I'm either feeding him or when he is down, I have to decide, do I want to like go to the bathroom? Do I want to take a shower? Like, how am I spending this very brief moment in time? So it can be really hard to, to implement a lot of these more holistic things. I can say now that I'm not in survival mode of tiny, tiny humans. My kids are a little bit older. There's a lot of lifestyle practices that I do implement to help manage my mental health because postpartum depression is one season. And in some ways it, it kind of prepares you for all of the unexpected, hard, challenging seasons to come. Cause like I've been there before I've, I've been low and that wasn't the, the like last time I was going to be in a really hard place again mentally. But now I have different tools. I have deeper self-awareness. I know what I need to do because I know how I don't ever want to feel again. And I can incorporate some tools that are a little bit more realistic for the human and the life I'm in now. 
Um, I did not personally use pharmaceuticals. I, I've been able to manage without. Um, and I think that there's a lot of stigma and shame there, and they can be extremely helpful for some people. And it doesn't have to be a lifetime of being on them. Sometimes it's it really is a seasonal situation, and that has to be I would address the whole person approach first, just like I do with coaching is like, what kind of things can we factor in to get you more support therapy, getting a walk outside, getting some alone time, having, calling in whatever support you can when you're a new mom, not being afraid to ask for help. When you go to the gym, ask your coach to hold your baby so that you don't have to do every single thing with your baby right on you or near you, like where you have a little glimpse of freedom, a little glimpse at who you were and what you want to do so that you're not totally losing your identity. It's evolving, it's shifting, it's changing, but you are calling in the resources that are actually available to you. And again, that looks absolutely different for so many different people. Um, but if we can try to bring in some of the holistic approaches to managing our mental health, and if we're still really struggling, then absolutely do what you need to do to be a thriving mom. And that looks different for everybody. But if you torture yourself and you're struggling, you will look back and regret not taking the action out of like your own ego kind of got in the way. Mm -hmm. And I know I can look back at my first year of motherhood and be like, God, like, for example, I wish I would have given Cade formula. I think he was hungry, but I was so hellbent on like exclusively breastfeeding that like it, it just was torture for all of us. And now I'm like, God, why didn't I just give him like a little bit? That probably would have helped his temperament a whole lot, but it was my own ego that didn't let me. So I think that we just really have to like assess the whole picture and what our motivations are, what our barriers are, and then like what's actually within our control. And then if it's not in our control, what can we do about it? Who can we solicit support from? You have a gift, Brianna, oh, yeah. this unique, <laughs> this unique ability to picture paint. Um, you know, what I really love is that the whole human approach but the other thing I really appreciated was, you know, I'm, I'm biased. I work in the health and fitness industry. It's really easy for me to throw out holistic approaches. But what I love about conversations, and I think this, this mindset can really be applied to our all or nothing or black or white uh, mindsets that, that we see in the world with politics and all, all these other things going on is, we, we can stay malleable as humans. I think you just provided me with such unique perspective around, you're right, Bryce, going for a walk will help. But it's freaking hard when I'm trying to decide if I'm going to go to the bathroom or if I'm trying to shower or if I've got all this noise going on in my head. And so, Or if I have a baby who's going to scream his head off the whole time he's in a stroller yep. or a toddler who's doing this. And it's like survival mode just breaks you down. And it doesn't last forever. So it's like, what tools can we incorporate? Like little highlights of like that holistic approach. We're not going to get all of them. That's not practical, but we can get some, mm -hmm. you know, we can get some. Yeah. I, th I think you categorized it really well. And, and I really appreciate just, I'm, I'm very curious. And so I want to understand what you went through and how, you know, how this can relate to what other people are going through, but I really want to share and highlight for others to remain open-minded because some of the advice given won't work. Some of it will work. And just having that really malleable brain and not this, this very shielded all or nothing, I'm right, you're wrong. It's variable. 
And what I'm curious about next, Brianna, is, you know, many men are, are going to want to fix, right? They're going to see their wife hurting. They're going to see problems with the baby and they're going to jump in and be like, how can I fix it? Let's do this. Let's do that. And it's, it's this very solution oriented thing that might not feel compassionate, might not feel empathetic, um, might create a little bit of, um, animosity between the couple intimacy is obviously going to be different at that time how how did you navigate your relationship with your husband and what would you suggest to other couples that are potentially going through the same thing yeah i mean i would like feel very fortunate jared just took to parenthood so much easier than i did i don't know he just like he really was just able to kick in like again when i had Cade, i I couldn't move. I was reliant on him to lift me, to take me to the bathroom, to set me down, to like things that are were like so embarrassing at the time, even though we'd been married for years. It was like, oh my God, this is just so vulnerable. And like, I'm so self-sufficient. I hate being so dependent on people. But he really took to fatherhood and nurturing me well. And that's what I needed. I didn't need him to just love my baby. Of course he loved him, but I needed to know that he, you know, was, was able to really take care of me. And thankfully um, he did a great job of that. So I would say that relationship wise, um, it makes a really big difference when like, or there's like less resentment that can be involved, at least initially when there's care for the mom where the mom is not forgotten about because so many times moms are like, okay, we're nursing, we're doing this and we're the only one who can do this and that. And you just, you kind of build up that resentment because you're the one with the boobs who is like taking care of this baby. Right. So I think if the, you know, the partner can step in and, and try to provide support for the mom, that makes a world of difference. Um, and then just like equal, <laughs> equal split on responsibilities. Like it wasn't just my job to take care of my son and it's still not, he is very much responsible for, um, for, trying to manage the load of parenting. It's not just on me. It's not just on him. Some days it is more on me. I'm more the default parent. Other times it's more on him. And so really having those clear conversations and expectations outlined in the beginning helps. And there will still probably be a lot of times of resentment because a lot just does fall on you. And so keeping those lines of communication open of expectation and struggles it's really helpful. I feel like expectation has been a popular theme for us today and not just expectation from a partner or business partner or business, but also expectation from self and understanding that awareness and appreciation can kind of help the, the expectation dance a little bit. Yeah. I, I really appreciate you sharing all these things because I mean, having a baby is a whole family experience. Yes. How did you guys you know, create expectations around not having like a measuring stick. Cause you mentioned some days you're going to take on more, some days he's going to take on more, some days, you know, he's going to be out providing and, you know, there's that level as well. Cause they're going to come home tired and, you know, fatigued from putting out energy outside of the home as well. What did those conversations kind of look like? And is there subtle mindset resentment around, man, your body is the same that it was before the baby. You can do whatever you want. Like, what, what does that look like? Oh, man. Yeah, you know, I think Jared and I have been together a really long time and we have been 
through it. So I don't want to sit here and pretend like, you know, that I have some incredible relationship insight because I don't like it is, it is a struggle. And we have been to some extremely dark, low, 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 low places. So I just want to preface that. Mm -hmm. Um, one thing I've been with him for a very long time. Um, we've, we've truly kind of grown up together. He has always been supportive of me. Always. He has supported me graduating with my undergraduate graduate degrees through all these different jobs through all these different opportunities. He just like, I've always been very driven and he has been with me through all of that, that. eternal and belief was, that you grew up with. Yeah. Like he, he has seen that in me since I was 20 years old. So this is not new for him. Um, and he knows that maybe like my job is more um, unconventional as an entrepreneurship. It just really is. Um, I can work a ton or I don't have to necessarily work a ton. It kind of depends on the day and the month and season, whatever it might be. Um, and I love it that way. I love this fits my personality so well. His job doesn't have a lot of flexibility or freedom. First responders, they, they are not necessarily in control of their own work reality. And so I think it would, it's just really having a clear understanding of what our roles are and what our abilities are. And then when we are not working, like we are working with the other person to provide for our kids in the way that we can. That, you know, today, like he, he only slept for a few hours, but he got up, he took the kids to school because I had some things I needed to get done early. And it's not always going to feel fair. It will not feel fair. You can't have a measuring stick because there is zero fairness. It's just a constant juggle and drop of of what are the things that we have going on and who can who can take it from here. And there will be resentment, there will be annoyances, but also like, man, you just, you, when you've been used to working within a team for a long time, and we both are pretty familiar with that, like, you just know this is how it is. And um, he's always been really supportive of me because this, my, you know, experience as an entrepreneur, like, I'm bringing a lot to the table too. He's bringing a lot to the table. And together we're really trying to create the life that we so wish we would have had as, as kids. This was the reality we're we'll able to give our kids is so far from the reality him and I both grew up with. I just appreciate the, the guidance for other couples that are potentially going through something similar. I mentioned to you earlier, I'm at an age where a lot of my friends are having kids. They're trying to figure out a lot of these things. So hopefully these, these serve as a little bit of a blueprint to help support people. You've mentioned the word entrepreneurship a few times, and yeah. you, you've talked about falling into that world on accident. W what is an entrepreneur to you? And how did you kind of get your foot in the door in, in that space? I got my foot in the door because I was sharing it anyway. I was doing it anyway. I was living it anyway. And I realized the more I was doing that, the more impact I was creating. And I think that that ties in well with how I would define entrepreneurship as it's an opportunity to create impact within a, an area that you freaking really care about. Like I know a lot about this. I also care a lot about this. And it also reflects my life. And like my, like I embody so much of what my business is. It is not, it's just an extension of me. And that feels really good. Um, and I think that when you can find that thing, that will fuel your entrepreneurship experience. But I fell into it because again, I was just, I was really just genuinely sharing what I had learned as a coach, what I had learned personally as an athlete, what I, how it was tying into 
I'm learning how to be a mom and then doing it a second time. So as I was sharing, there was more and more people reaching out saying, yeah, I wish like, why didn't anyone tell me? I wish I would have known this stuff before. And oh my God, I have this or I have that. And I'm not able to run anymore. Or I go to CrossFit and I pee and whatever. Like they were sharing all of these experiences. And I was like, oh my God. And then so many athletes had postpartum depression because again, we kind of have these like rigid expectations for ourselves. Well, I should be able to do this. My body should look like that. And like, it doesn't. So I did something wrong. And then there's all this pressure and failure that we put on ourselves. Um, so as I was sharing a lot of that, there was just so many people reaching out and saying like, me too, me too. Um, can you help me? And I realized like I was just answering so many emails and this was before social media is what it is now. Um, but there was a lot of, there was just a lot of connection there, but connection in a like, God, like a sad way. And I was like, I'm, I'm doing something about this. Like I'm very, Again, like Enneagram 8, I don't know, when I'm like pissed off about something or when like there has been a wrong committed, it's like, how can we make this right? How can we make this better? And what's within my control and my power to do something about it? And I didn't really have imposter syndrome. I was like, I am the person to do something about this. I'm living it. I get it. I know it. I'm I'm learning and I'm learning and doing at the same time. Like I had, I so when I resigned from coaching um, college, I started coaching a small group like women's strength conditioning class. And so at that time of day, the main demographic was moms coming in. And so I started coaching in person and getting more moms. And then that word of mouth spread. And so I started doing more locally where I was running different postpartum classes and women's strength conditioning classes. And I was seeing so many different bodies. And then I was also sharing that online. And as people saw what I was doing, not just with myself, but with other people that they could relate to. And then when I started working with like higher level CrossFitters who had bigger names, it was like, oh, this is a thing. And it really just kind of caught fire from there. And I realized I needed to make it more accessible. And so I created my first online course and it just became so freaking resourceful because I didn't know any, I had never even taken an online course myself, but I knew it was enough of a thing that people would buy it. So um, I just got really resourceful and just went full send getting this stuff out into the world. That's very cool. I, I can hear the, the sharing of information, the true problem solving, the, the sadness that you felt with other people not being well equipped to, to handle these challenges. I, I think my next question is really around, I mean, you went to school for exercise science and, and physiology and fitness. They don't teach you about business in that. They don't teach you how to, you know, start an LLC or an S corp or be, be a sole proprietor. Like they don't teach you how, what's the technology. You have all this information. It, it's easy to put into a Google drive document. How do you share it? What platforms do you use? You know, how do you create a website? How do you market these things? What are the fees that you need to, to pay to, you know, the state? How do you ship things if you have products? I could go on and on. What, what, what were the steps for you to be like, all right, like I either need to figure this out or I need to hire somebody or work with somebody, uh, outsource it potentially to starting the business and kind of getting it off the ground? Because I think there's a lot of fitness people out there that have this whisper that want to do these things. And they're like, oh man, I, I don't even know where to start. Yeah. 
That's such a great question. You're right. Like it's not taught at all. And it's not necessarily intuitive either. Like your idea is intuitive and like what, how your coaching is maybe intuitive, but like how to actually structure that, especially like online is, I mean, it's a whole different beast and it's not taught and you want to make sure you're doing it right and that you're safe and you're protected and all these things. So I think a big thing for me was taking, I was making some money, not a lot from coaching in person. And I had at least known enough to set up like a separate bank account. And so anything that I, and my overhead was like nothing. Cause the, the gym owner felt so bad for me that he was like, I'm not even going to charge you rent. Like girl, you can just like, you can just like do your little coaching thing. It's cute. Like it's fine. Let's just see what happens, you know? Um, so like, I really didn't have overhead, which was nice. And I was stoked. I was stoked to make like $300 a month. Like I was like, that's fine. And then like it grew a little bit more and grew a little bit more, but I had enough in that account that when I wanted to take it online, I was like, okay, I don't know how to build an online course. I can make a PowerPoint though. And I got connected with um, a freelancer who was super cool. And he is like, yeah, I, I can help you with this. And again, he felt bad for me because I just was this like, girl with a big idea. And, um, you know, I was able to take from that account to build out this online course. And it was like, so, so bare bones and, and everything in the beginning with online business. Like I didn't know I needed an email list, nothing. I launched my coach course five years ago with no email list, just to like, for some clarity here. So I was like a rookie for a very long time with, with so much of this, but I knew I needed to bring in reinforcements, right? Because when you are used to coaching and you're used to a team, you know, like there are, there are different role players for reasons. And I knew that I really needed to bring in people within their own area of expertise. And that would help me, it would save me time. And I had zero interest or ability in really, really figuring out all of like the tech ends and intricacies of that stuff. Um, I had people that just straight up helped me that were friends and they got me some like basics. But again, it was just, it was doing the true visionary work of putting this stuff out in the world for free. Even before that was like a normal recommendation in the marketing world. Um, like just put sharing content, putting stuff out there for free, giving what I knew away because I didn't have a, I wasn't selling anything. I was genuinely sharing because I cared. And then once it was time to start selling it, it was pretty natural because it was like, well, hey, guys, I like I made the thing that you've been like asking for. So here it is. And that has been the story of my business and any product, any program that I've created has been a result of this is what you wanted. This is what I've been sharing anyway, not just for the last six weeks, but for like the last six years like this. It's been consistent storytelling and sharing and giving away so much because it is important because it does need to be more accessible because they're not being told that by their doctors or by their coaches or by their, their practitioners, whoever. So it does have to be accessible and we can create a lot there and keep sharing. And then when I decided to hire my first person to help me, I was, um, I had just launched the coaching certification for the first time. I was about to have my second baby. So that was like a really solid deadline I had um, to work up against. And I knew that I did not know enough about tech to um, be in like maternity mode when people were having customer support issues. So I knew I needed to hire like a VA and I found one who was as versatile as possible. I was like, I need versatility. She's got to like be able to do a lot of different things because I don't even really know what I need. I just need someone who can handle this. And I knew that even if I didn't 
like her rate, I told myself, even if I can't afford this long term, like I can, I know that this would be a couple tanks of gas and a Costco trip and this. So if I have to pull from my personal life, I can swing it and it'll be worth it. And fortunately, the coach certification, even without an email list, really took off and did very well. And I was so grateful that I could hire her, have a little bit of support, have a different kind of maternity leave than I did the first time. And that was really a catalyst for how my business has um, grown from that point forward. That's super cool. I like hearing the the sacrifice that goes into it too, of, of lifestyle adjustment to you know, have a little bit more income so you can have resources and the support that you need in order to have some help to grow, to scale. And, you know, that I think that's my next question. How have you learned to scale over time? Because in the beginning, it's just you. And then yeah. you learned, okay, it's time for me to hire somebody with some versatility. How have you kind of learned to expand? You know, obviously, sharing your story on podcasts like this, connecting with the Art of Coaching crew and Brett Bartholomew and doing speaking engagements is really cool. Um, and then obviously finding a niche within a very underserved, as you mentioned, very common demographic of, of postpartum and pregnant women. How have you kind of learned to scale over time? Being freaking consistent and caring consistently over time. I think that's, that's really the key to scaling is like, keep showing up. There's so much value in showing up. Um, and then just like when you're building out a team and you're recruiting, you're like, oh, I know that the game and our, our um, like it, we will improve if we have this kind of role player, like, right? Like if we're trying to get better, then I need to recruit this kind of person. And I'm like building my team and it's the same as business. I think there's so many parallels between coaching and being an athlete and being an entrepreneur. And I think it's, it's very clear to me as the business gets bigger and to, for me to fulfill all of my ideas, which are incessant, I need, I need the ability to do those things because I know my role. I know where I can take this thing, but I need the reinforcement of people that have different skill sets than me to back that up. And it is so scary because I was like, Oh God, can I afford this? Like, I don't know. Like, what if it, what if people stop caring? You know, like the, like, what if this all goes away tomorrow? Like, I don't know if that ever fully goes away for entrepreneurs. Um, but I think you just start to bring in pieces. And if you're bringing in the right pieces, they will be an asset to your business. They will improve your business. You will make more money because you have people that are working to take it to the next level. So that if you're building your team really strategically and keeping it lean, and then giving it time to really make sure that you have that solid ROI and with the investment being, you know, the human investment, then, and that's good. I mean, that, that is what will scale it to the next level. And you'll start to get that data and know like, yeah, once I hired this role, or once we started doing this, or once we implemented that strategy, we are now able to measure month after month or year after year, whatever it might be. And this is what our goals are and really start looking at some of the things that I always ignored. I was like, I'm just having a good time doing this. And then, you know, you get some exposure. I also do also have a business coach now. So she holds me a little bit more accountable. Um, and I have a COO. I have like, I really try to build, build out my team so that I can do what I'm good at and what I enjoy and the role that only I can do. No one else can do what I do. And that's, I mean, that is probably the biggest blessing. It's just cool to hear how entrepreneurship unlocks new levels. You're, you're saying terms like ROI, return on investment. It, you've clearly developed financial literacy along the way. I'm sure you've understood tax law a little bit better. 
and you know budgeting and <laughs> yeah right isn't isn't the textbook like thousands of pages it's it's very challenging and it's always changing um but but it's just interesting in the world of of business to understand you know you're you're not just managing a product anymore now you're managing people now you're managing the dollars and cents behind the scenes and yeah. you know th- there's a lot of different different lanes to play in and you're kind of zooming out and overseeing the big picture which which I know you love to do it's really cool yeah. i appreciate your authenticity and sharing all this I have some quick hitters for us, you know, that I'd love to elaborate a little bit on around the mindset and the psychology that you've done such a great job describing for us today. And I'm pulling some of these from, from some of it's from your website, some from your Instagrams. And, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is I've never in my life felt further from myself than I am right now. And I think that's a thought that not just pregnant and postpartum women feel, but also as people get older. As identities yeah. change, as traumas I- I interact. And so I do think there is this transferable skill with that one right there where when you look yourself in the mirror, as you did when you were navigating postpartum depression, you're like, I actually don't like where I'm at right now. I don't know if I like me and I, I want to make the appropriate adjustments. When I say yeah. that line, what comes to mind? Well, that was from one of the athletes that I'm coaching right now. And, you know, it's just, again, beautiful, super athletic, like really successful woman. And then you just, you have a baby or you have your fifth baby and you can just get thrown and you, you don't really know who you are and you don't feel like yourself. And even though we can tell ourselves it's a pretty temporary season, it's a huge, there's a lot of grief attached to, I'm not who and what I was, no matter what. There that will some of it will stay, some of it will evolve, but like there is grief involved with every change that we'll experience. You mentioned getting older, like you know, like I moved like seven months ago. Like there was so much grief during that season, even though, even though, and this is why, like it again, <clears throat> it's so transferable, is like there can be grief and there can be joy and all at the same time, you know, like we can experience this huge spectrum of emotions and it's not mutually exclusive. You can be at your lowest of low and know that the high is right around the corner, but God, just getting there is hard. So, so many of these big feelings can coexist and that is not limited to postpartum or pregnancy and those changes. Our bodies are going to change through our lifetime. They just will. So the body that you had before you having babies that wasn't going to stay with you anyway, when you're 40, 50, 80, et cetera, like things will just change if we're lucky, right? If we are freaking lucky. We'll have the opportunity to see our bodies change. If we're lucky, we won't be mentally the same person that we were five years ago or 10 years ago, if we are lucky. So the more we can really like reframe, like this is actually a good thing. These seasons act as a catalyst. Then yeah, you don't feel like yourself right now. And that's because you're like in this hugely like transformative season in your life. And it just becomes very glaring because so many things have changed all the same time. Sometimes there's more subtle life changes. Other times there are bombs that go off. And I feel like parenthood is one of the bombs. And we're just going to experience a lot of them through our life. And you just get better. You get some of those reps in <laughs> um, and Parenthood is one of those reps that you get in at navigating a huge 
change and loss where grief and joy can coexist. Yeah, for sure. It's it's interesting because change is so scary, but it's it's so important and, and can be very, very positive as well. But as humans, we're always craving like an anchor point of, of a security blanket. But in reality, that's that's not living. That's just kind of existing in that particular moment. But right. it, it's got to keep moving. And I say moving, not in any particular direction, because it can be all over the place sometimes. Absolutely. Another really interesting point that you've made that I, I really relate to, at, at least in my season right now, is just less attachment to like aesthetic or performance goals. And mm -hmm. I think sometimes we get, oh, back in the day, I could lift this or my time on that workout was this or, you know, I just did a DEXA scan and my body fat percentage was this at this time. And not really taking into consideration the plate's a lot more full now. You know, that can be parenthood, that can be business, that can be your body's changing. Um, th there's lots of variables that I won't dive into too deep. But what are your thoughts on that? Because I think there's a lot of this this comparison trait that's really hard for the brain to to be okay with, especially with social media where you're getting everybody's highlight reel inputted into your brain pretty frequently. Yeah. I mean, it, it can be, I mean, that's probably one of the hardest things for the people I work with is like not comparing themselves to either somebody else in the gym who's the same, you know, amount of weeks pregnant or the same amount of weeks postpartum or whatever. And like what their body looks like or what they're able to do or what they used to do. Like where they're just comparing themselves, um, about to the athlete that they were a year ago or five years ago. Um, and what I try to say to them is like, there's just like, if you have performance and aesthetic goals, that is fine. Like, let's redefine what those look like for you now, instead of like what they were then performance wise or aesthetic wise, then like, what do those goals look like for you now? And I know personally, like, God, the, I love the freedom of not being so attached to a certain body fat percentage or how much I deadlift or anything like that. Like I actually have a lot of like freedom to experience fitness and health. And I'm not just like married to CrossFit or powerlifting or doing triathlons. Like I love that I get to learn new things and try new things. And I think I'm actually a better athlete now in my thirties than I ever was in my twenties. And that's because I'm a more versatile and adaptable athlete that is putting my ego aside so that I can learn new things and try new things and not have to be the best and not even have to be good, but like I can go out and I can run and I'm stoked to be able to do that. Just because I'm not running like seven minute miles doesn't mean it's not still good. I'm out there moving and I love that I can just go and explore and run. I love that I can do jujitsu. And I started that in my thirties as a mom. And like, that is such a foreign sport to me. And like, I've been in it for a couple of years now and I love it. And before my ego would not have allowed me to be that much of a beginner, you know? And so there's a lot of freedom on the other side of being super rigid about what your body looks like or how your performance is measured in very narrow parameters. I really appreciate that. It's, it's really interesting based on environment too. And, you know, I love CrossFit. I love the methodology. I think there's a lot of value there, but I also think there's a lot of value in functional bodybuilding, traditional strength and conditioning, orange theory, yoga, jujitsu, and the list goes on and on there as well. But what's so interesting is the environment sometimes around a CrossFit gym, which hopefully the narrative can change through healthy conversations like this. It's always, what was your time on that workout? How much weight did you lift? How many reps did you do? 
And those are some metrics that, that are, are valuable for some and can measure performance. But when you're trying to create buy-in, you know, in a class setting and a group coaching environment, and people are looking to measure their progress based on goal acquisition or body metrics, what, what are your thoughts on how to create this psychological understanding around habit and optimization of muscle contraction and psychological presence and community and enhanced movement quality where those things are a little bit more subjective and a little bit more opinion based and sometimes get tossed out the window, especially from high level executives that are like, numbers don't lie. I'm getting worse. You know, like how, how do you deconstruct that a little bit from people that are a little bit more rigid around, you know, are they improving or are they not? Yeah. I mean, it's tough, right? Cause it's all so personality dependent. I think a very, very simplified answer is like the, best thing we can measure is, are they consistently showing up? Like, this is not, this is not like a, you know, mind blowing answer, but it really is like, you will inevitably get different and better by consistently showing up. And that does not, not, that will not always be reflected in data. Like sometimes it will, like maybe you'll get stronger over time, but like also maybe you got hurt and you hurt your knee. So does that mean that because you're not lifting as heavy as you were six months ago, that you're getting worse. No, you're just different right now. And you're actually getting better for your baseline of right now. So I think it's reassessing our baseline and what we want to do. Um, something I heard, God, I don't remember what podcast. I, I think Peter Atia said this. Um, he's great. His, I've been he's listening so to him a lot lately too. I got to get him on the show. Yeah. So like, he's great. Um, he talked about like what you want your last decade of life to look like. And I think in a CrossFit gym, this is, this could be such a really intuitive conversation to have, because I think so many people aren't just doing it to have a better friend time or deadlift or whatever. They're really doing it to just like pursue the functional fitness avenue of it. And so if we can frame it in that lifetime of athleticism conversation in the, what do you want your last decade of life to look like? How do you want to feel when you're playing with your grandkids? We can't control everything that happens to us, right? We can't, we cannot control injuries and sickness and disease. Like there's so many things that we, we might have some touch on, but not all. So what can we do right now to be present in our body and to reassess our baseline? And are we enjoying it? Are we enjoying it? Is it bringing more value to our life than it is like creating like toxic thoughts and feelings? Are we, are we happy in that environment? Are we showing up consistently? Those are probably like the main baselines I would want to really emphasize to anybody in any gym environment is, do you enjoy it? And is it something that you're able to commit to consistently? For sure. Then you're getting better. I've heard a couple of people say that there's a monster inside all of us, but we got to learn how to use that appropriately. And, you know, it's deconstruction of the ego in the sense of, Sometimes ego can be good when used appropriately, but then when used inappropriately, it can be very, very dangerous. And yeah. I, I think there's a lot of value there. I also want to bridge this conversation to something Peter Atia described when he was in medical school, he was riding his bike and he suffered a pretty severe back injury. And he, he made a statement. He goes, this is the first time where I felt like I lost my body. I lost control of myself and, you know, take out. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to be an athlete anymore. He thought he wasn't going to be able to be a doctor. And, you know, pain and discomfort and change 
creates this this cognitive fog where we're not sure and that level of uncertainty raises the anxiety the depression and all these things and you know if you if you are listening to this and you haven't checked out Peter Atia pretty stud doctor out there that gives a lot of amazing advice he's been on a whole bunch of podcasts yeah. um you know but but I do think it's important to note that you him me others in this space we're all we all go through the trenches a little bit too and you know having the appropriate conversations navigating change striving to be open-minded and malleable to accumulate more thought ideation tools in the toolbox trial and error and surrender to the human experience so we can ultimately get to the other side with forward thinking and anticipation that as you described there will be another bomb somewhere along the way <laughs> there just will and then the more adaptable you are to that to knowing like i know that i'm resilient enough to figure this out even if everything looks different like there's a core part of you that will grow with you and will stay and then you like learn to cut losses in other ways like emotionally physically like mentally like you just you learn to like cut certain losses and that's just painful growth. Like it's not always, it's not going to feel good. Like it just, it just doesn't. So a lot of the times, you know, it's, it's a painful growth period um, followed up by that joy where you're like, oh my God, like you, like we really work towards something to improving yourself, to improving your experience, to improving like just your overall lifestyle. It's pretty rewarding on the other side when you know that you went from rock bottom, whatever your rock bottom is or whatever your bomb was of change to then get into the other side of it, it like, it just makes a really significant difference in, in how you feel moving forward. And you get reps of being uncomfortable and learning how to get a little bit more comfortable during that season. For sure. The last thing I'd love to touch on Brianna is you've really, really emphasized pursuing a lifetime of athleticism without being derailed by temporary seasons. Mm -hmm. What, what advice would you give to people, you know, going through a temporary season as they're striving to create this, this lifetime of athleticism? Ooh, such a boring answer, but it's patience. It's patience and trust in yourself, patience and trust in your process of what you need to do now on behalf of that long-term goal and know that the little things, they do make a difference and they add up over time and that the more patience you can express and the, and the work you put in, even if your capacity is so much different than it was before will pay off over time. And then it changes. Like it just does. And it's so rewarding to get to that side where you're like, man, like most people don't regret taking their time to reintegrate, but I meet plenty of people that regret rushing that process because they end up getting injured or hurt or set back or some kind of thing. Even if it's like some of these like mental injuries, right. Of, of like, God, I really wish I could go about, could have, gone about that differently. And there's just different, different forms of regret. So I think it's really easy to feel derailed because you do feel so different from yourself, but there's a huge opportunity there, like in who you're becoming and what fitness can look like. And there was a point in time where I was like, man, I'm like not a good athlete. If I can't deadlift this or run this or do all these, these like very, like these metrics that literally are meaningless, like they were meaningless. Right now, I'm like, I'm stoked that I am able to deadlift and and lift a few, like four times a week and go to jujitsu and that I don't feel limited. I don't feel limited. Even if my output is a different level of output than it was before, I'm not lifting as heavy. I'm not running as fast. 
I don't feel limited in my body. I feel really good. And I think that when we can zoom out, like truly learn to look at the look at the forest through the trees, like that makes a significant difference in how we navigate um, those trickier seasons. For sure. Adapting instead of trying to control everything. Not easy. It's absolutely not. Well, thank you so much for spending time with me today, sharing bits of your story, how you've navigated your personal experiences and how you've developed an incredible coaching and business arsenal to share with the community of pregnant and postpartum athletes. Brianna, you are, you are an absolutely incredible human and it was awesome to connect with you. Where can people find you? Yeah, so you can find me. Um, my website is www.briannabattles.com on Instagram at brianna.battles or the brand page is at pregnant.postpartum.athlete. And I'm also the host of the Practice Brave podcast. Very cool. Well, I look forward to crossing paths with you soon and seeing you out here in beautiful San Diego early next year in January. And this, this was absolutely such a pleasure. I'm excited to share this with the community. Oh, thank you so much for having me. For those of you listening on Spotify or Apple or observing our conversation on YouTube, if you enjoyed my conversation with Brianna Battles today, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with your friends. And as always, stay on the hunt for who you've not yet become. Until next time. Thanks, Brianna. Thank you. Are you over 35 and in need of a solid training program? Are you looking to improve your athleticism and keep up with the younger athletes in your CrossFit gym? Then look no further than our Invictus Masters program. This program places year-round emphasis on mobility and stability exercises with movements that we have seen directly benefit our Masters athletes. Our program is led by Nicole DeHart and offers a training program designed specifically for Masters athletes who are looking to compete at a higher level in the sport of CrossFit. Some of our top Masters athletes in the world train with us, including CrossFit Games champion Kevin Kester, Matt Beals, and Pat Sprague. You can learn more about their stories and the Invictus Masters program by checking out their episodes right here on the Invictus Mindset Podcast. If you'd like more information about the current training cycle or to join the Invictus Masters program, please email Nicole at InvictusAthlete.com. That's N-I-C-H-O-L-E at InvictusAthlete.com. Breathing, movement, circulation, digestion. What do all these body functions have in common? Our muscles. There are over 600 muscles in the human body that are responsible for supporting our daily activities. That's why your muscle health is incredibly important. On this podcast, I always discuss seeking our peak expression and striving to maximize our human potential. And so I try to share with you the top products that I find on the market. My HMB is a clinically proven ingredient that has been shown to help build and maintain lean muscle mass, increase strength, improve recovery, and enhance body composition. Learn more about your muscle health at myhmb.com slash Invictus. Once again, that's myhmb.com slash Invictus. Enhance your muscle health and enhance your life.